0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 10. In verses 5 through 11, we just finished, uh, we have a description of the Assyrian army. Chapter 10 of Isaiah, and verses 5 through 11 was the last section that we studied. And we had a description of the Assyrian army, but we also find that In verses 10 and 11, maybe I'll recap those two verses to get the uh, connection with what we're about to study. And verse 10 says, As my hand found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Now, it was a sad thing that Jerusalem should have set up graven images at all, and it is not equally it is not equally foolish for Christians to emulate the people of the world in its vanities. It's a terrible thing when God's people start copying the world and their vanities and their idols. So God had to rebuke uh, His people for the fact that they followed the heathen nations and setting up idols. And so God had to judge His people. And by the way, He was using... Assyria, if you'll notice back in uh, verse 5, the very beginning of this section, the rod of mine anger. He was using Assyria as the rod of his anger to bring chastening unto his own people. We sometimes wondered why God permits a heathen nation or an ungodly nation to so enslave or punish uh, his own people. And yet, that's what exactly happened here was because of their rebelliousness and their lack of repentance. We dealt with that in the ninth chapter, that they did not repent. They were an impenitent nation. The wrath of God was upon them. They had unrighteous judges. And uh, they uh, failed to follow the laws of God concerning the poor and the needy. And so that's why God had to use, and did use, a foreign nation to bring them into captivity because of their sins. Now then, verses 12 through 15. We have the overthrow of this army. And it's announced here in verses 12 through 15. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart, the proud heart, the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the the glory of His high looks. Assyria's arrogant, boasting would lead to his own downfall. God says, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria. Evidently, he was lifted up with pride. And it says, In the glory of his high looks. We've quoted a scripture, and you and I are familiar with it, that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's exactly what, what would eventually happen to uh, the enemy of God's people And it was a clear sign to the remnant of Israel that God would be with them and that He would finally judge and punish that nation uh, whom He had used, that He had used to be the rod of His uh, uh, anger against them. In verse 13 it says, For He saith, this is the king of Assyria, He saith, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent. And I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. This king of Assyria was ascribing to himself the power, and the wisdom, and the strength, instead of recognizing that it was in the providence of God that this be permitted. He says, I am prudent. In other words, I understand. I have good understanding. I've done it by my wisdom. I've done it by my strength. For he saith, by the strength of my hand. He didn't realize that it was God that permitted him to have such power and strength. In uh, verse 7, if you'll drop back in verse 7, it says, Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. He didn't realize that he was accomplishing God's purpose in what he was doing, and he attributed everything that he had done to himself. Sometimes you and I do not realize that uh, wicked kings are in the hands of God the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will and we wonder about dictators in times past World War two and before and even World War one and since then great powers that have risen and uh, we know the the different uh, opinions of around the world today, but sometimes we don't realize that it is God that permits these things to happen. And He does it for a purpose. Maybe to wake us up. Maybe to help us realize that, that things do not belong to us. They belong to Him. And this king of Assyria, he saith, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom... For I am prudent, he said, I have good understanding, prudent means, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down, notice how many times the word I, 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 or the the personal pronoun, starts out, for he says, by the strength of my hand, I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put the inhabitants like a valiant man. About a half a dozen times in this one verse. And that's not all. The next verse continues. In verse 14, And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, as one gathereth eggs that are left. Have I gathered all the earth? And there was none that moved the wing, or opened the mouth, or peeped. In other words, he thought he had complete control of everything. You and I have to realize, even though we're God's children, and even though... Uh, we're on the Lord's side. And God is on our side. That it's not by the strength of our hands that we do anything. We have to have His hand. In verse 15 it says, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? An axe cannot cut down a tree by itself, but only in the hand of a strong uh, person, a strong man, that can use the axe. So, uh, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it or moves the saw? As if the rod should shake itself against him that lifteth it up? Or as if the staff should lift up itself? Or as if it were no wood? A staff is simply wood. It has to have a man to lift it up, right? A saw has to be moved by human force. And uh, an axe has to have one that hews down the tree. So, that's as much as you and I claiming that we can do things without God's help. We can't do anything without God's strength and power. We may think we're the instruments that bring about the change. But it's only as God uses us as instruments that there's any change that takes place. Verses 16-19 through shows the punishment upon Assyria. It says in verse 16, Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones, or the most robust soldiers of the Assyrian army. He's going to send leanness, and under his glory he shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. And the light of Israel, refers to Yahweh himself, shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. And it shall be burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day, and shall consume the glory of his forest. All the trees of the forest of the Assyrian really it's referring, I think, in figure, in symbol, it's referring to all of his army will be cut down. And his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer uh, fainteth. So the punishment is going to come, and the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few that a child may write them. There will be a remnant of the trees. Verses uh, twenty through twenty-three. You have the return of the remnant. God promised. Remember, we studied back in the previous chapters, in chapter eight, chapter seven and eight, and partially in chapter nine, that God had given Isaiah two sons, and the these two sons were for signs, their names. In verse 18 of the 8th chapter, Isaiah says, Behold, I and the children, of, children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. So the two sons and their names are significant of signs and wonders in Israel. And one of the sons' names means a remnant shall return. The other, the other son, if you study chapter 8, you'll find that in verse 1, It says, Meher, Shalom Hashbaz," And that means swift to the booty, or speedy to the prey. And symbolical name given by Isaiah at the Lord's direction to one of his sons. And the prophet's uh, indication that Damascus and Samaria would soon be plundered by the king of Assyria. In making speed to the spoil. But he had another son. Isaiah had another son, and it's revealed in chapter 7, verse 3. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou, and Shear-Jashub, thy son. And Shear-Jashub means the remnant shall return. And so when we're studying here in the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 20, we find that God describes that remnant that shall return, and He's talking about it. It says in verse 20, Isaiah 10, verse 20, And it shall come to pass... In that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped in the house of Jacob, of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, in other words, trust in the king of Assyria, but shall stay or trust upon the uh, Lord, the Holy One of Israel. See, by our affliction we may learn not to make creatures our confidence in our stay. When we're afflicted, We learn not to trust in man and his power and all he can do. We learn to trust in God and what he's able to do. And so that's exactly the lesson that God was wanting them to learn. This remnant did learn that lesson. What did they learn? Now let's look back and cap it off. Verse uh, 20 again. Shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more stay upon him that smote them. Well, who did God use to smite them? the king of Assyria, as a rod, and a chastening rod. But, instead of that, "...but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth." You might say they had begun to learn their lesson, right? Apply that to you and I today. Do we begin to learn our lesson when we put all of our trust in man and put all of our trust in uh, human reasoning and uh, human things and earthly things and physical things and material things, and do not realize that at the same time that we need all of our blessings, all of our needs supplied, we still have to trust in God who is able to work all things after the counsel of his own will. Have we learned that lesson? If we learn that lesson, we've learned what God would want, want us to learn. It says, The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. That's verse 21. Those only can can with comfort stay upon God, who returned to him in truth. If you return to him in truth, you can stay on the Holy One of Israel. For though thy people, Israel, verse 22, be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return, the consumption decreed shall overflow with, with uh, righteousness. In other words, the, the destruction, the pining, and the destruction shall return, consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. He'll bring the judgment that He has uh, spoken of in order to cause the remnant to return. If you look in verses 24-27, through 27, you'll find the faithful remnant is comforted. Isn't it good that after uh, a wicked nation would you, be used as a rod to chasten God's people, and God would co- uh, teach them the lesson, and a, at least a remnant of them, a portion of them would would get the lesson and return to God and trust in the Holy One of Israel. That then God would bring comfort to them after such a uh, such an experience. It's like you and I going through the furnace of affliction and coming out, and then on the other side having the comfort that we need and the assurance that we need. And so, verses twenty four through twenty seven, the faithful remnant is comforted. Let's notice how it says: Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts. O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. Be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. But we're told not to be afraid. You know, we're not to give way to fear. It's against the mind and the will and the purpose of God for you and I to give way to fear. Because he says, be not afraid. Whatever happens, now this was a terrible thing they were going through, but they were not to be afraid. He says, be not afraid. He says, this is going to happen, but be not afraid. In verse 25, he gives them a word of hope. He says, for yet a very little while. In other words, but for a moment. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. He says, just hold on a little while longer. Isn't that a message to all of us? In the midst of all the tribulation and all the things we endure, it's the same thing for the church. He tells the church as a whole to just hold on a little while longer. Remember in the book of Acts in the times of persecution, God just wanted them to be faithful. And, and In fact, Paul tells in, the, in one of his uh, epistles, he says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So you just have to hold on and be steadfast. The Bible tells of the early church when the first day among them there were 3000 souls that were saved and he says they continued what steadfastly steadfastly in the apostles doctrine in breaking of bread and in prayers in fellowship in other words they continued steadfastly now we need people that are the same today and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and are not always uh, being disturbed about things. We need people that are steadfast. Let's be steadfast in the faith. Paul says, I've continued in the faith. He has, uh, says, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And you and I need to uh, realize that we need to realize that it's just a very little while until things will turn around. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease and mine anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts, look, verse 26, God's people are going to be delivered from the Assyrians and be delivered out of their captivity. It says, And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. God... Was able to turn the tide for Israel of old. He speaks of Egypt. And he speaks first of Midian. Remember what happened when the uh, Midianites had come against God's people. Remember he raised up a man named Gideon. And what did he do? With an army of 32,000? No reduced with an army of 10,000? No, with a, with an army of 300 overcame that great host, 100 and I believe it was called about 135,000 Midianites, is where they started. 135,000. You know they were well outnumbered even with all the first number they had, weren't they? 135,000 against 32,000. That's not very equal. But yet God says, get in, you've still got too many men, because whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return to his tent. And so about, uh, all but 10,000 of them went home. Well, that's quite a reduction, isn't it, in an army? And then he says, well, there's, you still have too many because some of these are not going to fight. They're concerned about their own fleshly needs too much. And he says, I want to put them to a test and we'll go down to the water. And uh, let every man drink out of the brook, out of the water. And he said, "Those that fell flat upon their face—I mean, all they were concerned about was their, their filling their belly full of water." He says, "Send those home, but those that take the water and lap it as a dog lappeth in his hand, and he keeps his, he satisfies his thirst. He takes care of his physical needs, but at the same time, he keeps up his eye on the enemy." and he's ready to go to battle, and he's not overindulgent in his own needs. He says, you choose those 300 men, and by them you'll get the victory. And he says, otherwise, if I send you out there with those 10,000 even, let alone the 32,000, you'll find out that they are going to save our arm and our own self-physical uh, uh, strength, and because we were so great that we won the victory. But God says it's not going to be that way. They're going to have to know that they have to depend upon me. You know, sometimes God brings us to the place that we have to know that the deliverance is from Him. And the Lord, look at verse 26 again, The Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Orb, and as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. He uses two incidents to prove how that he takes care of his own and how he will fight for his own. In verse 27, we said that this passage has to do with the faithful remnant and the comfort that they can receive. In verse 27 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. The burden of the Assyrian is going to take away that burden. And his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. This is the reason we can depend upon deliverance. You know, Christ is the anointed one. In fact, Messiah means the anointed one, the promised one, and the anointed one. Believers among Israel and believers of the New Testament have received a divine unction from the Holy Spirit. Believers of the Old Testament, the Spirit, remember the Bible says from time to time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went forth and did thus and so. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that ye have an unction or anointing from the Holy One. And God's people are anointed with the Holy Spirit of God and should be in order to accomplish anything. And so it says, The yoke and the burden shall be taken away because of what? And shall be destroyed. He shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Remember it speaks of Jesus in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. It says, Thou hast anointed him with the oil of gladness above. Or thou hast anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. In John's Gospel it says, The Father giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Bible tells us in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Had he not... been led of the Spirit, had He not been anointed with the Spirit, the story might have been some, somewhat different. But we know that Jesus would be led of the Spirit and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when you and I enter into any temptation, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit too. We should uh, ask God's uh, guidance and anointing and blessing and help when we face any temptation in any situation in this life. Because it's through that special guidance and anointing of the Holy Spirit that we become victorious over uh, the temptations. And he used another instrument too, as well as being filled with the Spirit, it says he used the Word of God, didn't he? And so when Satan came with his temptations three times over, Jesus used the Word of God and said, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. You and I have to realize how important that is to answer the temptation with the Word of God. You know, in this day and hour we have so many things that are out in the religious world that are taken for truth that are not founded upon the Word of God. And you and I must stand right here on the Word of God. In fact, if you'll turn back to chapter 8 and verse... Uh, Well, there's two verses in chapter 8, verse 16 and verse 20. Turn back to chapter 8. It says, bind up the testimony in verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. In other words, they were to rest upon the law and the word of God. To seal that above all things, bind up the testimony, and seal the law among my disciples. Now then, down in verse 20, it says, to the law and to the testimony. That means the word of God. To the law and to the testimony. And it says, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Boy, you find things floating around in the religious world today that are not... According to the Word of God. And what's the answer? You say, well, it sounds good. It sounds reasonable. It sounds miraculous. It sounds appealing. Well, maybe so. But it says, if it's not according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. So what are you going to be guided by today? What is your final look as far as where you stand today? The final rule of faith and practice is a a deep conviction and indoctrination in the Word of God led by the Holy Spirit of God and to rightly divide the Word of Truth and stick to God's Word regardless. We have people floating around all through the, the society today all over the world that are disturbingly latching on to one thing and another and this group and that group and this cult. You know? And you really feel sorry for them. You know why? Because many of them, all they want is acceptance somewhere. You remember the cult? The Well, people don't even like to call them a cult, but really that's what it amounts to. And uh, out in California recently, you know what happened. When people get so engrossed and so dominated by one little Element of truth. It's true you're going to leave this life and go to be with God someday, but it's going to happen in a natural way. You're going to die first of all, and these bodies will be resurrected. That's according to the word of God, isn't it? Right. You're not going to catch a falling star and go up there, right? And also, listen. If if you do not die, if Jesus comes before that, the Bible tells you how that's going to happen too that the Lord is going to come, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. You know, we usually say the rapture and the resurrection. We should say the resurrection and the rapture. Because the dead in Christ shall what? Rise first. First. And then we which are alive and remain will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians 15. And shall be called up together with them, First Thessalonians 4, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But we better stick to what the Bible says about leaving this earth and going to heaven instead of somebody that leads you astray. And there are so many people that are looking for something. You know who the cults in this world today prey upon? Are those Christians... That are unstable in their faith. They, they pray upon, P R E Y, upon those that are weak in the faith. If they can find a Baptist or a Presbyterian or Methodist or any other denomination that is weak in their church, in their faith, they're going to latch onto that person and get them into a cult. That's who, that's who they pray upon because that's who they can, can influence more than anyone else. And the reason that they're weak in the faith is because they don't attend the house of God and they do not read and study the Word of God as they should. And you need to, to be taught uh, and you need to study and you need to read and you need to check it out for yourself and just don't take it for granted just because the preacher says it. You check it out and if what he says is not true, well then you, you have a reason to differ. In fact, you have all the reason in the world to differ, don't you? Just check it out with God's Word. And that's all you have to do. And uh, we should be in the habit of doing that. Remember Paul said that those of uh, Thessalonica were more noble. I mean, the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things that Paul himself preached were true. So he commended the Berean Christians for what they had done. Well, right, let's get back to, where were we? Chapter... Oh, uh, ten 10, and verse 27. shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off our shoulder. God says there's a day of deliverance. This should be comfort to God's people. God's people will be delivered from the Assyrian, delivered from the deliverance of the Jews out of their captivity finally, when the time would come for that. And it may be symbolical and speak of the believer's deliverance from the tyranny of sin and of Satan. We're delivered too also. And it's because of the anointing. And because of the anointed one. Because of the, the anointing of our great Redeemer. That the yoke of every Antichrist must be broken from off his church. And the yoke of everything that would, would shoulder us and hold us down should be done away. In verses 28, let's see, verses uh, 28 through 32, we see the Assyrians march against Jerusalem, the coming against Jerusalem, and then in verses 33 and 34, we'll see Jehovah's intervention. But verse 28 through 32, notice, He has come to Epha, He has passed to Migron at Mishmash, He hath laid up His carriages. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up thy voice, O daughter of Galen. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madminas is removed. The inhabitants of Gibam gathered themselves to flee. As yet... As yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. In other words, the Assyrian would come upon all these cities, places, and uh, come in in their invasion. But it says in verse 33 and 34, Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with terror, and the high ones of statues shall be hewn down, and the horny shall be humbled. What's he saying? When, when he comes in with his invasion, the Lord is going to lop, or he's going to disbranch as a tree is disbranched, the bow with terror. God has a way of cutting off the limbs of those that try to come in against his people. And the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. The haughty or the arrogant shall be humbled. And so God can deal with the situation. You and I have a hard time, don't we, dealing with the enemy? But God has it under control. And he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by, by a mighty one. So uh, God has promised intervention. When the Assyrians' march comes against Jerusalem, he's promised to, to intervene. And you know, when you and I are in the straits, when we're in a condition where we need God's help, He has promised to intervene for us. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 8, If God be for us, who can be against us? The enemy may be pressing in on every side. The invasion may be uh, coming in full force. But you and I have God's protection. We have God's protection, God's presence, and God's promise of intervention on our behalf. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we were left to fend for ourselves, for ourselves in a situation like that? You see, we don't stand alone. We stand with God's help and God's strength and God's power and God's promises behind us. The Bible says you are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we need that. The Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The 11th chapter well, our time is about gone. We can get into it. I'll give you a brief outline of it. We may not. I don't know how far we'll get, but look in the eleventh chapter. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. We know this is speaking of the Lord. Some uh, thought it was referring to some uh, in Hezekiah's day, or back in the days of the prophet Isaiah, but we won't go into that because there are critics. I think when we get down to verse uh, 4, we can prove that it's spoken of in relation to Christ's coming in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, so we won't uh, deal with all the critics. Let's let them be as they are. But it says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look at verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David. It's as if God was looking back to the very beginning of the source of that kingdom that was set up under David and even bypassing David and going back beyond that to Jesse. It's as if Israel had already come to the place that they were rather out of the picture as far as being the kingdom that He expected them to be. And so God says, I'm going to the stem of Jesse. And then He really, He's going to finally point to Christ instead of coming to... Christ through David, in the sense he's speaking of really going back to the root and the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And concerning the division of this chapter, there are three things. Verses 1 through 5 is the king, who he is, and what he will do. And verses 6 through 10 is the peace and the blessing he brings. And verses 10 through 16 is the regathering of scattered Israel. And a lot of this is prophetic. In fact, uh, in my opinion, it's all prophetic of the future. In verse 2, it tells us who this is. The coming king and his kingdom. And he's identified. Here's who he is. And here's what uh, describes him uh, as well as other things on down in verses 3, 4, and 5. But verse 2 especially. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and mind. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is speaking of Christ. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord resting among, upon Christ is like the central shaft of that seven branch candlestick. It's like the central shaft of the spirit of the Lord. And on each, there's three. There, there's a threefold uh, a dual threefold qualification for the perfection of his government. So I want you to get the picture of it if I can try to put it over to you. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then it says, the Spirit of, here's the two lower branches, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the first two lower branches. Then the middle two branches, it says, the Spirit of counsel and might, the next two. And then it says the spirit of uh, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seems like you start at the bottom with two branches, you come up from that main stem with another two, and there's another two. And there's seven represented. the, the main is the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, that's like the central branch. That's everything centers in Christ on that the central branch. And then with that spirit of the Lord that rests upon him, you have these three are these dual branches in a threefold manner coming from the sides, like the seven branch candlestick and in that we find a complete picture of what Christ is and what he is able to do uh, who he is and what he's able to do and what he will do as far as uh, righteousness as far as his rule. and we'll find that as we read on down in the next verses it says in verse three and and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. In other words, he has discernment. And he shall not judge after the sight of of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. You see, Christ is the righteous judge. You uh, read in Hebrews chapter 1, His scepter is a scepter of righteousness. So with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, the word of God. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And by the way, this is quoted over in the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, so that we come to the place that we're speaking of Christ Himself who shall come and destroy that wicked one. And then it says, And righteousness shall be the girdle of His loins, and faithfulness the girdle of His reins. So you find Him described. And then in verse 6, you're going to find what He does. The peace and the blessings that He brings. I may be hurrying through this too much, but I want to give you this. It's so wonderful. We may come back and talk some more about destruction of the wicked one in our next lesson. But look in verse 6. Verses 6-10 through tells us the blessing that He will bring. And when Christ comes and the millennium is upon this earth... Then we'll find that this is actually going to take place. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The wolf doesn't dwell with the lamb now. The wolf eats the lamb now, doesn't he? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. That doesn't happen now. And the calf and the young lion and the fattening together, and the little child shall lead them. I mean... All of the enmity between uh, of, in creation, beast against beast, and beast against man, was going to be done away with. We talk. About, this is the millennium. This is the peaceable reign of righteousness in the millennium after Christ comes in Revelation chapter 19 and in chapter 20. We have these conditions. He shall rule and reign. Uh, they shall rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. And this is the millennium. By the way, there's some today. And you better check it out, because you've got all kinds of doctrines floating around today. There's some today that are making the resurrection act of the millennium. That doesn't hold true. The Bible teaches that that the resurrection is going to take place, and the rapture is going to take place. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, that all begins to take place. And then there, there are martyred saints during the tribulation that will be taken to heaven. And then in Revelation 19, we find that the, and I, I've missed a lot of things because you have to go back and say about the martyred saints. And by the way, I can't expound the whole book right in one time, but you have to go back and think of the martyred saints that were already there, saying, "When are you going to uh, avenge the blood of uh, our blood on them that dwell upon the earth?" And God says, "Wait just a little while until there are others that uh, will finally fulfill the complete." Martyrdom during the tribulation period. But in Revelation 19, the Lord is going to come back with His saints. He's going to come back with the armies of heaven, and they shall follow Him. And the Bible teaches that there's judgment going to take place, and that's before the millennium. He's returning. He's not only come at the rapture before the tribulation, but He's come uh, with a second coming back to this earth before the millennium. And then, we're going into that 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. And that's where the, this kind of situation will take place. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf, and the young lion, and the fattening together. The little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now the lion doesn't eat straw, but he eats the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the whole of the ass, and the weaned child shall put his hand on a cockatrice den, that is an adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The blessings, the peace and blessings that, that this anointed one, the one that's the Spirit of the Lord is upon, the one that's a branch that shall grow out of the roots of Jesse, the one that speaks of Christ, is going to bring when He comes and the Millennial Kingdom is set up. Well, we have a lot of things to study and our time is gone. I don't know where we'll pick up because we may recap part of it, but in verse 10 we're going to see the gathering of scattered Israel when we get to that section of of the 11th chapter in verse 10. So we thank you for your patience and your kindness and attention.